there's still a lot of work to be done if the world is to reach agreement on reducing greenhouse gas emissions in Copenhagen in December, when over 100 countries meet at the United Nations Conference to replace the Kyoto Protocol Agreement. But while politicians prepare for the road to Copenhagen talks, academics from all over the world met at Cambridge University to look into the impact of climate change on water resources in Africa at a conference coordinated by Judge Business School's Cambridge Centre for Energy Studies. The implications of climate change and variability for African Water Resources Conference heard from keynote speaker Mrs Sherry Aiti, Honourable Minister for Environment, Science and Technology, the Government of Ghana. I think water is life. And uh, without water, then um, the whole planet is dead. And I believe, as I said, that climate change is a human rights issue. Everybody must have you know, safe water in order to survive. A biochemist by training, Mrs Aiti believes the issue of water resources is one of basic human rights and that in this interconnected age, the developed world needs to embrace the problems the developing world is facing. We have enough uh, uh, knowledge and yet, um, I mean, we seem a bit unconcerned. Science and technology is setting, you know, the limits that... uh, the whole global world has to wake up and take a decision as to reversing this uh, global warming issue. But um, we seem unconcerned, you know, and this is what, you know, is really a worrying for a lot of people. In speaking up for the voice of the voiceless, Mrs Aiti says that with trust in each other, we can work towards a dialogue of understanding in Copenhagen. Well, the data is there, but I believe that uh, scientists, it's time scientists reach out to the public and the private sector so that uh, we can have an interface accepting their data as an information tool to help us bring a change in our environment. Now, we've got in Britain or in Europe something called the Road to Copenhagen, the G20 countries, and they're very much going to be debating at the the end of the year in December how we divide resources between the developing world and the developed world. How do you think those resources should be divided? that uh, the developed world must accept that uh, they have contributed a lot to global warming you know, and to CO2 emissions into the atmosphere and that it's going to take the developing countries and the least vulnerable developed countries another two or three decades to reach the levels that they have contributed this uh, CO2 emissions. So they must understand you know, that it's time to dialogue and that uh, they are prepared to cut down on their emissions by reducing their lifestyle. That is the main thing. I mean, accelerated growth. Nobody wants to, you know, put their economies at risk to reduction in emissions so that uh, other people can benefit. But then uh, it's a global world. When the destruction is coming, it doesn't know whether you are in a developed country or you are in a poor country. 
that destruction will engulf all of us. Professor Charles Connell from the University of California, San Diego, founded the UCSD Environment and Sustainability Initiative and is a member of the Sustainable Solutions Institute. He also chairs the Californian Council on Science and Technology and the National Academics Space Studies Board. Professor Connell says the conference's success was in bringing so many people from related fields across the world together at a national and local level. It was hugely successful because it brought together people that usually don't speak to one another. It brought together within the university world uh, uh, meteorologists, social scientists, uh, people interested in water. Uh, it brought uh, us a number of colleagues that we'd never met before from Africa. Uh, we had colleagues from Australia and around the world. It was an extraordinarily interesting conference. Yeah. And there was a commonality, wasn't there, in seeing this research and hearing people talk. You know, the themes, you talked yeah. about the themes being about village as well as about national and regional social policy. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed. In fact, this is the second of two conferences. Our first, which we held in La Jolla in California, was devoted to the implications for water availability of the melting of the snows in California's Sierra Nevada and in the Himalayas, where two billion people depend on that water. Here, the conference was also on uh, what will happen to water supplies under climate change circumstances when different regions um, will experience, have different experiences. The dry areas will get drier, the wet areas will get stormier, and so on. And the two, both India and Africa, are very different. But one common theme emerged. And the common theme was that uh, objective knowledge, scientific information about what is going on, can play a very big role in supporting decision-making at the local level, where it will have to be made. But the second part of the story was that the knowledge cannot be conveyed in the form that scientists do so, as numbers and data, but in fact it must be communicated right down to the village level uh, in terms that the village leaders who may have to adapt to these changes in terms that they can understand. Scientific data which is collected locally needs to be shared to help inform policy making regionally and nationally. The problems for Africa are more acute than for other continents because of the wide variations in climate experienced from drought to famine. Professor Connell again. Because the climate is changing, you can't use your past experience as a guide to your decision-making in the future. And the only thing that is available at the present time are, however imperfect, the, the projections that, uh, for future climate that we currently make. And so, therefore, the issue of giving people guidance about which plants to crop uh, to plant for crops, uh, when they should do so, when the seasons will start and end. All of that now depends on the provision of scientific knowledge, but it has to get down to the working level, uh, and it must be translated and explained in terms that the people in the regions understand and apply directly to them. They don't care 
about the weather on the other side of the Himalayas. They care about the monsoon in India. And uh, so both affect the snowpack and both are interested in the climate scientists, but I'm interested only in how much water is going to be in my stream next year. Why Africa? Why have we focused the theme of this conference on, on water and Africa, whether it's flooding or whether it's drought? There seems to be an urgency with Africa. Yes, indeed. Well, I think Africa is... Uh, in terms of human development, the most troubled of our uh, continents. It's just beginning to develop its, uh, its economies. Uh, its population growth is the most rapid in the world. There are vast movements of population from countryside to the city. This is leading to resource depletion, environmental degradation, uh, and, of course, social and economic problems are at the forefront. And for them, climate change sits way in the background. It's something that's going to happen 20 years from now. And they need, uh, if they don't solve their problems today, we don't help them, then uh, in 20 years' time, when their environment changes, they will uh, be less able to cope with the changes then. And so for Africa, development and climate change uh, adaptation are two sides of the same coin. Professor Cannell believes that climate change is not wholly responsible for the problems Africa is facing and that population control and demography matter too. But, he says, the world cannot afford to see Africa experience these wide variations in climate and that what affects people there has consequences here too. Many of them are, are human caused. They're caused by the growth in population and imperfect social systems. Uh, and some of them are caused by, by uh, climate change. And climate change will, if uh, you, as a society you are weakened by your own problems and then in addition you run into uh, more massive droughts, then your ability to cope will be diminished. But population change and cutting family size would help. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. That was one of the discussions in our, our conference. Um, I believe that there's a, a demographic transition in progress in which the rate of growth of population is indeed slowing down. But uh, in my personal view, any efforts you could do to accelerate that process would have great environmental benefits downstream. If we look at the role of public policy, does public policy pick up on the research that is being done at this village or community level and, and then affect change, lead people to adapt to I, climate I th change? I think uh, the question of how public policy responds to scientific knowledge is uh, right at the forefront in Western societies and is not perfectly solved. The problem is significantly worse uh, in, in the third world countries. But I think we in the first world have a major interest uh, in seeing, in accelerating the, the whole process of delivering science-based knowledge for the, the purpose of decision-making. We cannot, the world cannot afford for the two billion people who depend on Himalayan water to see the, see the Asian water system fail. Similarly, we can't see, uh, we, we, the world cannot tolerate uh, you know, further uh, uh, similar things that might occur in Africa. So we, we all collectively share an interest. Uh, the consequences of a failure in those water systems would affect us uh, shortly after they occur in the regions 
themselves. Julian Hunt is an associate fellow of Judge Business School's Cambridge Centre for Energy Studies, an emeritus professor of climate modelling in the Department of Space and Climate Physics and Earth Sciences, and honorary professor of mathematics at University College London. He's also a fellow of Trinity College, Cambridge. Professor Hunt thinks the presentations at the conference highlighted the pressing need for different policies at different levels of decision-making, the local, regional and national. He says changing patterns of behaviour at any level requires great self-confidence. The papers have demonstrated what we hoped would, would happen, which is to demonstrate the, the great variations of climate change um, for example, in northern Ghana and southern Ghana, uh, you're having at the moment uh, rising temperatures and decreasing rainfall on the coasts and something rather different inland, but rising temperatures pretty well everywhere. Um, but it means then that countries will have to have different policies in different parts of the country. Um, so the coastal areas on the east side of Africa um, are, are quite wet and moist still, and in those areas you know, you would, uh, you've got different problems of people concentrating in those areas dealing with environmental problems. So, so it, it's a, it's a, it's climate change is, is not a, a great big global thing. Um, uh, with, uh, d defined by computers in, in, in the UK uh, and, and uh, defined by money coming from, from the United Nations, it's a very must be dealt with on a very local basis. That's really what struck uh, me about the presentations here, is just how they're bringing together local research data and, and um, emphasising how much we need historically to keep this research data and, and, and to, to move on and find new ways to chart trends. Yes, and, uh, and also to, to uh, motivate uh, these countries to, to have the self-confidence, you know, first of all, to take the data and then to work out their own solutions. Um, and as people were saying, as the climate changes, you want to, for example, change the crops, for example, using less rice and more of some, of some other vegetable. And this is very difficult, but it's only going to be done by people who have great confidence in their knowledge of the, of the country, the, uh, the, the, the state of the environment, and for politicians then to realise this is, this is their solution, their people, they've got to solve it. This is really quite a transformation in the vision of the whole climate change um, debate and, and indeed you know, policy framework. While local solutions must be found to climate variability, Professor Hunt believes that there are enough common themes to devise workable solutions regionally and nationally too. Well, in some parts of Africa, particularly the Sahel, uh, um, it, there has been extraordinary variations uh, of the of the boundary between the, the forested areas and the desert areas. This is called the Sahel, and this is because the sort of boundaries move backwards and forwards as the vegetation changes and the whole uh, earth, earth um, the, this this sort of barrier. Um, it's called the intertropical convergence zone moves backwards and forwards every year. That's what produces this freak fluctuation of rains, but sometimes you can have patterns that last many years in which uh, you're having more vegetation uh, in those areas like Burkina Faso or much less. So um, uh, it's that, it's that var you know, variation. Therefore, you might have, might have to have policies and explain to people this is going to be like this for seven years and then not seven years. One is reminded of the story in the Bible. <laughs> it, it does sound rather like that. But you, you mentioned politicians earlier. Do we, you think we can have public policies that are devised on a national and regional uh, scale to actually help local communities? Or, or are, are, 
are those communities so diverse that you can't find anything to link them? Well, I think we, you, know, you link them by this sort of concept that everybody must think of their own climate, they must think of their own solutions. Uh, and of course, there are uh, people in other countries, um, other parts of Africa, other parts of the world who are experiencing similar problems. For example, there are sort of similar great changes taking place in China and India. And uh, the advantage of this workshop following the one we had in May in California is that we're seeing some of the similar messages about climate variability and taking climate initiatives through local centres as being the solution. The exchange of scientific knowledge, says Professor Hunt, is crucial and setting up new centres to facilitate this would be a positive move. However, overall, he is not optimistic that solutions will come soon enough to save parts of Africa from flooding. The first initiative that we think is important is, is to make use of all the current measurements that are going on in, uh, of, of the, uh, the weather, the atmosphere, but also the, the rivers and also the movement of the... the, the cultivation the land surface um, there's there is such data around but it, 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 even in Africa and it's not being exchanged it's not being available if governments uh, and decision makers could have access to this in their own countries um, then they would be able to make more informed decisions I mean for example the African Center in Niger which is meant to be an African Center actually knows has very little input from many of the African countries. Do you think this information exchange is one of the major challenges of finding public policy solutions to climate change? Yes, and but I think the we need to have essentially new, slightly new institutional arrangements at the moment. That this is in, in often governmental bureaucracies, uh, and uh, the suggestion made by an African colleague, Elsie Owusu, who came to this conference, was that if you could set up non-profit um, centres. Uh, which wouldn't actually hold the data, but which would be facilitating, coordinating centres to enable um, decision makers, uh, investors, farmers to find the data that they require. We just need a, a kind of um, facilitation centre, sort of, you know, um, uh, almost marriage brokers, as it were, <laughs> people just to, as it were, to show where the, where the information is. And then these places could then start training people as to how to use it and so on. So I just see new kinds of centres uh, being created in Africa, and that's, that, was an, that was an African's idea. That's the data collection, but out of that you get innovation, don't you? You get change and you get new applications to help people, perhaps just simple things like bringing crop rotations forward because monsoons may be earlier, things like that. Oh, yes. I mean, uh, of course, you know, Africa for, uh, has for a long time had, had important centres of agricultural practice, um, and these would be, you know, part of this part of this network. Um, so one of the points of such a such a coordination centre would be to inform people. The other point, of course, is you don't necessarily go to a place. You can ha now have mobile phones. I mean, we were hearing about India, where you can have computers, uh, centres in Bangalore, translating advice into 14 different languages. A computer doing this. Um, and so, it's currently in Africa, much of the advice is given in English, which is, which is not a language people speak. So we're just hardly beginning to scratch the surface of, of what. But, uh, you know, what could be done. Many people have mobile phones, so we could connect all these things together. Surely the fact that you can gather so many people here at a, co a conference, surely the road to Copenhagen, the fact that people are talking about you know, cutting our emissions uh, preceding 2010, the film The Age of Stupid, doesn't this all lead up to a tremendous momentum for change? No, it's absolutely the reverse, actually. Um, I'm, a bit, I'm extremely pessimistic and realistic. I mean, we were, we were talking this morning about triage in, in adaptation. I mean, the China 
uh, who I went to and wrote about recently. I mean, th they are expecting to double or triple their emissions. They've more or less accepted that uh, Western China is going to become a desert. Um, so actually, it may well be there are parts of Africa uh, that simply will not, it will not, will not be sustainable. Uh, and one of the points about data is to find out what parts of your country are sustainable. Even the UK, we are going to abandon part of our coastline. We're not going to defend it. The Dutch are because they're a smaller country and they're going to put a lot of resources in. So actually, um, part of the problem is to recognize the, 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 the gravity of the situation and then make sensible decisions. And, and as we said this, heard this afternoon, actually the most immediate problems are this just extraordinary growth of the population in Africa. People pouring into cities, um, which are going to be very hot, shortage of water, um, problems of pollution. Um, it, it's an absolutely ginormous problem. Um, and and but therefore we've got to focus the limited resources just on the areas that are going to have maximum help. We're not going to go back to a green and pleasant land in these countries. But your pessimism, surely the politicians uh, will find public policy solutions because of necessity, necessity being the mother of invention. I don't think so. No, I mean, uh, I mean, you know, they have to operate within within a budget. They have to operate, obviously, within the, within the climatic situation. The world has made this extraordinary emissions over the years. The point being that even if we, we, we even did sort of quite extraordinary things of stopping it, which is not going to happen, um, that would still the, 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 these these trends would would continue for. 30, 40 years, in, uh, in a period, of course, where we're having this um, doubling of population, d um, more than a half and maybe 60% of Africans will be living in urban areas, which is a pretty, gr a pretty a grim situation. Um, and what we've just got to do is to find the, the, you know, the least worst situation, um, and science is absolutely essential for doing that. And I just think, I just think we've really got to move away from this, I'm afraid, rather, rather um, rosy view being, being, being pushed around by our, afraid our politicians. Mm -hmm.